0: What is up Cultivate Church Online? I'm so glad that you are hanging out with us here today at Church Online. I want to say if you are missing hanging out with us in person at one of our campuses, you are missing out on the greatest fun we can have together. I love hanging out with you here at Church Online. I love that you're able to listen by a podcast. But look, there is nothing like us being together in God's house, and so I want to invite you to be a part of one of our campuses in person. Well, today, we are in week three of a series that we're calling Be Rich. And the whole idea of this series is to really understand what it means in God's context to be rich. And in week one, we learned that we are rich in hope and because of Jesus and what Jesus has done And how much God loves us that there is hope for our life. And I don't know if you need to be reminded of that today, but man, as we watch the news and as we uh, get those text messages and as you're on social media, and you just look around at what's going on in the lives of people, people need hope today, I believe, like never before. And you and I, we have the hope of Jesus. We're rich today. We have an abundance. We have more than enough hope because of Jesus and then last week we talked about being rich in giving in our generosity and taking what we have our time and our talent and our treasure and us giving that away we're rich compared to the rest of the world we learned that we're in the 1% club that if you make thirty five thousand dollars as a household income we're in one percent of the entire world we are rich in the blessings of God. And this whole series has come out of a passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter six, verses 17 and 18, and here's what it says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, there's a few little highlights that I want to give you there, and if you're where you can take notes or you're writing in, uh, in your Bible, I want you to underline the word rich And if you begin to think or formulate in your mind that somebody else is rich and it's someone else's responsibility, well, we've really lost the context of what God is trying to teach us. He wants us to know that we're rich in blessing and that we are accountable for the blessings that God gives to us. I want you to understand today that you're rich. Change your lens, change your focus of what you don't have and look to what you do have. Don't be proud and don't trust in your money. Money is the only thing that will motivate you to get up early every morning, sit in traffic, sit by people that you don't like, do things you don't like to do because you need that money. Everything that you do, your trust of your home and your food and your enjoyment, it comes from your money. If your boss told you tomorrow, hey look, I appreciate everything you do. I appreciate all of your hard work, but uh, we can't afford to pay you anymore, but we would love for you to still show up because you're so good at these tasks. Most of us would say, there's no way I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not volunteering. Why? Because you took away the money, and the money is what we are drawn to. Don't trust in your money. And then it says in verse 18, to teach us, To use our money to do good things. Learning today that every blessing from God, he has made us rich. We're rich in hope. We should be rich in our giving. And today, I want to challenge us. I titled our message to be rich in deed. Rich in deed. Every one of us should be rich in deed. We are called not just to say that we are Christians, but to show that we are Christians. Not just to make a name uh, for ourselves, but to make a name for Jesus. To let Jesus be famous so that people would know that we have such abundance and such blessing because of what Jesus has done. We should be living our lives on purpose, rich in deed. There was a man who died and he went to heaven and when he got to the gates, he's talking to St. Peter and St. Peter says, hey, listen, uh, what, what good deed have you done? What merit have you accomplished in your life that should uh, allow you to be here and to be in heaven? And he said, well, you're not going to believe this. He said, but there was a time where I saw some bikers, a biker gang, some really rough, tough mean biker men big beards and lots of tattoos and lots of piercings not that tattoos and piercings have to do with anything but these bikers rough tough gruff guys and he said they were they were assaulting a young lady they were they were they were uh, they were you know trying to make her feel small and they were talking forcefully to her and she was very uncomfortable and i was concerned about what was about to happen in the situation he said so i went up To the biggest, baddest biker that I could find. And he said, and I told that man to stop talking to that young woman that way. He said, and then I reached up and I grabbed his nose ring. And I ripped it from his nose. I threw it to the ground. And I told him that if he would continue to talk to her that way, he would have to answer to me. St. Peter said, wow, man, that's really amazing. That's impressive. He He said, when did this happen? He said, it was just a few minutes ago. So today I want to ask you this question, what good deed, what merit are you living out in the abundance that God has blessed you with? All around us are people in need and I would say today that you're probably standing in a need. I'm standing here today talking to you in need. But even in the midst of my need, I know that God will provide because he has given me an abundance of hope. He's given me an abundance of blessing. He's given me an abundance of promise. Therefore, what has been entrusted to me, what he has invested into me, he's counting on a return today. And so I want us to lean into this and ask ourselves a question today. What deed have you done? I want us to be rich in deeds. So let's pray together and let's just ask God's blessing on this today because I want to present to you a few investment options of what you can do in your abundance and how you can invest it to be rich in deeds. So Father, thank you for my friends watching online today, spending time with me online at Cultivate Church online. Thank you for all the people that are listening by podcast right now. I pray that today's message would stretch us and grow us and motivate us and help us. To be better. Jesus, we give you all this time today and we honor you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're in Luke chapter 10. I want to encourage you, go ahead and grab your notes, they're there online. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. Grab your Bible, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And uh, these verses tell a very, very famous story in the Bible. It's called The Good Samaritan. Let me read it to you, take a look at it with me. Luke chapter 10. Starting with verse 25, and this is what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, first of all, I want to hang right there for just a second. I love that the Bible says, an expert in religious law. See, this isn't someone who had never read the Bible. This isn't someone who had never experienced uh, the truth of God's Word or the education of God's Word or even the understanding of God's Word. You see, this person is going to Jesus not with a sincere question, not with sincerity in his heart to learn or to grow from Christ, no... He goes to Jesus in order to test him. One translation says to trick him. You see, he's trying to do something that is dishonest. He's trying to frame Jesus to get Jesus to say something that is against the law in which this person knows. So he says to him, Hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Notice even the framing of the question is so that it is a benefit to his own personal life there's nothing that he's going to ask Jesus that says hey Jesus what can I do to further live my life on purpose to make a difference or to be a blessing to somebody else No, the whole framing The whole lens of this entire scenario, this conversation, this outlook is on this man. So as he frames Jesus, I love how Jesus responds in verse 26. Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Jesus was a master at answering a question by asking a question. You see, what Jesus was doing here is Jesus was turning the tables on the conversation. You see, this guy shows up. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to test him with his answer. But instead, Jesus goes, okay, you're an expert in religious law. You know all the answers. You know what Moses said for us to do. You know the Ten Commandments, the big ten. So what do you say? What does it mean to you and so it puts the ball back in his court so verse 27 the man answered well you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you see this man understood this because that's literally the very teaching of G in a nutshell That breaks down what it means to be a believer, to be a Christ follower, to serve Jesus. It's to love God with everything in us and then love those who are around us. And then Jesus is like, man, good job. Good answer. You got it. You win the prize. Jesus says, right. Do this and you will live. Should have been the end of the story. That man right there should have said, you know what, I need to make sure my focus is on loving God and then on other people. But instead, notice what he does in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? in order to justify the way he had been living, because the big picture for this man is how do I get myself to heaven? How do I myself have eternal life? How do I myself escape eternity in hell of separation between Jesus and God and myself? How do I get myself in a position that I get to heaven? And then the man trying to justify because he knew He knew he wasn't living right. He knew that he had not been rich indeed. He knew that he had been looking out only for his own interest, his own self, his own well-being, his own household, his own pocketbook, his own possessions, his own desires, wills. He was living a selfish life. He was poor indeed. Jesus wanted him to be rich indeed, and Jesus begins to tell a further story in the Bible. So Jesus, instead of just going, hey, look, this is what you need to do. This is the direct answer. Jesus tells a story. In verse 30, Jesus replies and says, A Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. He was robbed. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. And they left him half dead beside the road. So you got a guy that's traveling, and on the road that he is traveling, it is said that it's a narrow road, it's windy, there's a lot of places for people to actually hide so that they can rob travelers. Uh, It was actually known to be a very dangerous road to travel. Uh, A lot of people were, were hurt. A lot of people were robbed. A lot of bad things happened on this road. So in the context of the day, this made perfect sense. This was very relevant to what this man would understand. And then verse 31, Jesus says, By chance, a priest comes along. I love the humor in Jesus. I love his... Personality. I love his attitude. He says, Hey, by chance, a priest comes along. And as this priest comes along, he saw the man lying there and he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. A priest is coming down the road, sees a man ahead laying injured and in need, but instead goes to the other side of the road to pass him by. Remember, it's a very narrow road. He had to get pretty close. But he still got to the other side, as far as he could go, and he passed this man by. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Another religious man, another man who should have known better to reach and to help. But he passed him by. Then verse 33, it says, a despised Samaritan came along. I think if you can, you should underline that word despised. A despised Samaritan came along. Back in the day, uh, they didn't have all the peace and tranquility in their culture like we do today. You know, we all get along so well. We don't have any uh, racial divides. We don't have any prejudice in our culture today. Aren't you thankful? No, just like we have prejudice and racism, and we have division in our country, and we have wokeism, and we have all of these things that try to provide, divide us. Well, so did they. Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along at all. As a matter of fact, Jews would be so religious that they may even pray a prayer that would say, God, don't let any of those, those Samaritans, don't let any of those people make it to heaven. I mean, they were so overly religious that There was a lot of prejudice, a lot of bigotry that was in their life. But going over there, this despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Check this out. He put the man on his own donkey. He didn't try to get somebody else's, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. So the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than it is, uh, then this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked this this religious scholar, this religious expert, this religious man who had all the answers, trying to trick Jesus, remember, trying to tempt Jesus maybe to say the wrong thing. Now Jesus has turned the tables, has told a pretty, pretty involved, pretty heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, grim story. And then he asked him, which of the three would you say are the ones that made the difference that was rich indeed that loved his neighbor And this is the man's response the man said well of course the one who showed him mercy then Jesus said yes now go and do the same today here's what I want you to do I want you to compare the three responses of these individual people now here's what you're tempted to do, especially if you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan before. Many of us are already thinking about which one that we are, and most of us probably would would say that we identify with the Good Samaritan more than we identify with the priest and The other man, the one coming through who looked at the man and walked the other way and the one who came and passed him by, the ones who ignored his need. We would not say that we identify with them. We would say, well, I gave a little bit of money over here. I helped do this little thing over here and sometimes I serve in my church and sometimes I give a little bit of money and sometimes I volunteer my time. I am a good Samaritan. But I want to challenge you in this. The good Samaritan or the other two men are not one or the other. You and I can be all three in one day. You see, it's an attitude. It's an outlook. It is an overflow of what is in your heart. And see, you can actually function in all three of these attitudes in one given day. You can choose in the morning that you're so important and you're so busy that you don't even have time to look and to stop. You pass it right on by. We got a lot of busy people on my street because we have traffic in the mornings when I take my little five-year-old to school and I'm trying to get out on the main road and people are moving like two miles per hour and they'll speed up to get close to the bumper in front of them. To keep from letting me out. So I know, hey, we're busy. We got stuff to do. We choose sometimes not even to address the need that is in front of us. Sometimes we see it. The Bible says that this man walked over and he stood and he took a look. And chose to do nothing about it. And then sometimes maybe you and I can be the good Samaritan. And we can choose to do something about it. We can choose to show up and express the generosity, express the hospitality, express the love of Jesus through the deeds that we live out. Because we should be rich in deed. There's three responses that we can give. Here's some investment opportunities of what we do in the moment and how these three guys respond. I want you to write this down. Number one, write this down. The first investment option is you can shun the moment. Shun the moment. You ever heard that word shun? For all of my Office fans, come on, if you don't like the Office, you need to pray for a sense of humor. One of the best shows ever on TV. I love Dwight and Jim, shun. In other words, I can't hear you. Don't talk to me, don't interact with me. Shun, unshun. What would you say? Re-shun. We shun it. We shut it out. We pretend that it's not there. We pretend that we don't see it. We pretend that we're not needed. We just shun it. We lock it out. Notice what happened. Verse 31, look at it again. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and he passed him by. Again, I just love that Jesus said by chance a priest came by. It's almost like I picture Jesus going so a priest walks into a bar. Like it's the setup of a joke. Or in this case, why did the priest cross the road? Replace the chicken. Ask why did the priest cross the road? Well, in this context, so he didn't have to help anybody. You see, we can live this way. That we keep people at an arm's length. You see, the priest, although... He was an expert in religious law. The priest is one who we knew was a representation of a spiritual life. Of all people, the priest should have been the first one to step in and to make a difference, to be rich in deed. But instead, he was too holy to be helpful. I want to ask you this question today. For believers who are following Jesus and you carry the label as Christian, is it quite possible that you may be too holy to be helpful in your Christianity? That you are claiming something and you are embracing something that you are withholding from everyone else around you. You may have told Jesus that you're a Christian and you may have told Jesus that you're a believer, but have you let the world around you know because you've been rich indeed meeting the needs of other people. Your life should be a witness. Now, let me tell you this. As a pastor, I hear people pray this prayer a lot. They'll say, Pastor, pray that I can have another job. Because I don't don't like being around all of these people who don't love Jesus. It's a tough atmosphere. You know, they say words that we don't like to say. They tell jokes that we don't like to tell. They talk about cheating on their spouse, and I don't want to cheat on my spouse. They talk bad about everybody else. They're dishonest. They, this, that, and the other, pray that God would remove me from this environment you see what's happening is you're praying for God to remove the witness and the opportunity and the potential you have to be rich in deed see we are called to hate the sin not hate the sinner we're called to avoid the sin not to avoid the sinner you see when we ask God to take us out of those atmospheres what we're doing is we're we're knowing that there's something up ahead and we're choosing to go to the other side to try to walk all the way around it we can be what I call so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good that all we think about is my time and what I get my blessing and how I can get to heaven and my eternal reward that is ahead for me and I forget that I'm driving a bus that I'm supposed to load up and take everybody with me. We can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. That we can fool ourselves to think that we're so holy that we can't get close enough to touch it. That we can't get close enough to make a difference. Don't shun the moment. Embrace what God has given to you. You serve with your hands what you've harvested in your heart. Now I want to challenge you in something here. The intake of God's Word and the intake of the Spirit of God and the presence of God and the purpose of God and the purpose of of God's call on your life. Listen, what you harvest in your heart, you will serve with your hands. Don't shun the moments to be rich indeed, that God gives you. The second response you can have in the moment is you can actually see the moment. You can shun it and choose to ignore it, or you can see the moment. You see, the Bible says a temple assistant walked over and looked, underline that word, looked. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, look, we thought the priest was bad. We thought the priest was bad that he went to the other side of the road to get as far away from the need as possible. But this guy still, look, a temple assistant, another religious person that should have known better. He actually walks up to the guy, takes a look at him and goes, man, this is bad. You're in some bad shape. Somebody hurt you. Really bad. You need some help. Does anybody else see the need right here? But he still chose to pass them by. Now, we don't do that. I know most of us, we, we would never do that. Uh, every time that you see a need in traffic, you, you stop and you help somebody and you try to provide a little bit of assistance. I was um, on the interstate one day and I had a, a, a blowout. And I was on a particular interstate that when the tire blew out, there was no emergency lane. It was just a little bit of room off beside a concrete barrier and the interstate. So I'm literally like half in the lane My my tires blown out. I'm trying to change the tire. Cars are whizzing past me at high rates of speed. And I'm telling you, I'm not nervous in most of those scenarios, but that day I was nervous. I thought somebody is going to hit me. And if they do, it is going to kill me. Now, hundreds of people are passing me by. It is literally rush hour traffic. Everybody's getting home. Traffic is flowing well at this moment. And there I sit, in need, and yet no one decided to stop. Now, how many times do you see an accident on the side of the road? And then we, what do we do? We slow down, don't we? we wanna, we're curious about it. We want to see what it is. But we have all the reasons as to why we can't help. Well, maybe I'm not equipped. I'm not prepared enough. I don't have all the the knowledge. I don't have all the information. I don't know. I'm not the one. Somebody else will do it. Listen, just because you see it doesn't mean that it's enough. You know Kodak, the company uh, that used to be the, the king, the big time player in photography. Kodak was king of the mountain. They were the big deals on the block. Well, today they're not so much. They almost lost their entire business because of digital photography. But did you know that it was actually 1975, someone on the Kodak team, one of the engineers, had a prototype for one of the very earliest forms of digital photography. Kodak saw the value in what that could bring and they thought it threatened their business. So they chose not to do it. That mistake almost cost them their entire business. Today, just because you see it doesn't mean it's enough. Just because you're aware of it does not make it enough. Don't shun the moment. Don't take this and just see the moment and ignore it. But number three, here's what that good Samaritan did. The good Samaritan He sees the moment, sees the moment. How do you do it? You seize the moment. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Underline that word felt if you can. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed, underline that word soothed, his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, underline that that little term, his own donkey. And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Now, I want you to understand the beautiful picture of the gospel that this is. You see, there's someone in need who cannot do for themselves. They have been robbed. They have been mistreated. They have been abused. They have been harmed. They have nothing to offer except for themselves in need. And suddenly someone who is despised comes, takes everything they have, receives the burden, and then begins to address the wounds of the burden in which they have taken That's exactly what Jesus did for us. That when we had nothing to offer, Jesus was rich indeed and he came and he took our burden and he began to soothe our wounds and he began to pay a price for our care that we could not pay on our own. You see that this person, the most unlikely, the most unnoticed, the most unassuming of the story, the three characters... Two people who were religious leaders, who should have known better, who should have come from the church. Yet it was the despised, it was the least of these, the most unassuming, that made the difference. Today I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge me. Don't get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Don't be so holy that you forget that you're here to help. Don't run so far from sin that you leave the other sinners behind. You see, you need to be, I need to be rich in deed. How do I do that? How do we become rich in deed? These are three extra things. Write them down. The first thing I would say is you need to feel the need. Feel the need. Verse 33 says, this man felt compassion. See, it wasn't just a service. It wasn't just an action. No, it was in his heart. It is coming from the overflow. Remember that what you harvest in your heart, you, 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 will, you will serve it from your hands, and this man had compassion harvested in his heart, a love for other people, a desire to make a difference, a desire to live life on purpose, and to change the world that is around him, and because of this, he felt compassion that compelled him to stop. You need to feel the need, feel the pain of people that are around you, the same pain that you experience Others are experiencing it too. You're not the only one walking through something. I'm walking through something right now, but I'm not the only one. And in my need and in my compassion, I can see that for other people. And when you feel the need of those around you, it will cause you to stop. If you can't feel the need, here's what I challenge you to do. Say, God, help me to feel and experience the pain of the people that are around me you'll take every conversation differently. When you're at that workplace and they're talking about a messed up marriage, you will hurt for that marriage and you will do whatever you can do to make a difference. When you are hearing the stories of people's physical problems and instead of going, oh my gosh, are they gonna talk about that again? You'll feel the need of their circumstance and you'll wanna stop and you'll wanna help them. You need to feel the need. Secondly, you need to feed the need. Feed the need. Don't just see it. Don't walk past it. Feel it and then feed it. Notice in verse 34 it says, He soothed his wounds. He began to do something about it. He addressed the need. He addressed the hurt. He addressed the problem. That was in front of him. He took the olive oil and the wine and and he began to bandage those wounds. He began to do something about the need that was in front of him. He began to feed the need. He picked the man up, put him on his own donkey. He didn't stop and go, Can we get some help over here? We need someone to come over here and, and attend to this man. We need a professional. We need a healthcare expert. Can we get, can we get an ambulance over here so that you, somebody could take him? Can we borrow somebody's donkey? Uh, this man, can we find his donkey so that we can... No, he just took everything he had, feeling compassion. He began to feed the need. And then the third thing I would say is that you need to fund the need. That's exactly right. Fund it. Like cha-ching, cha-ching. Fund it. Take of what you've got. Say, well, pastor, you don't know. I I don't have this. I'm I'm in debt. I I don't have the resource. Well, listen. You you need to make it. If you can't be generous... You need to make some margin in your life. Cut something out today so that you can be generous tomorrow because you need to fund the need. Notice what happened. Verse 35, he took the guy to an innkeeper and he gave him two silver coins. In other words, he gave him his own money. He paid for it himself. He took his own resource for someone who could not pay him back. Or give him anything in return. He paid this innkeeper and said, Hey, take care of this guy, and if the bill runs higher, I'll pay you the next time I come back. You don't worry about the money. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out. I'll find it. I'll get it. I'll make sure it happens and you're taken care of so that he can be taken care of. You see, if you're gonna seize the moment, you gotta. Feel it. It's got to be in every fiber of you. And that only happens through a transformation of Jesus changing us from the inside out, transforming us into a new creation, a new mind, a new emotion, so that we're more like Jesus. Feel the need and then begin to feed it. Begin to do something around you. Start small. Start where you can. Do what you can and then fund it, give away everything you've got so that you can make a difference in the lives of other people. Today, come on church, we're the church and we are rich. I want you to be rich indeed. I want us to do everything we can do to give our best to Jesus. If you're watching online today and maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and all of this seems like far out to you, You've been so consumed with your own self that maybe today you just say, I, I need to get right with Jesus so that I can live out this rich life, so that I can be rich, so that I can be rich in hope, so that I can be rich in giving, so that I can be rich indeed." I want to pray for you today that you could say yes to Jesus. And then I want to pray for anybody today that maybe God's been calling you to just a little bit further a little bit deeper level of commitment so that as you travel this road that's dangerous and is uncertain, and as you encounter people who need something from you that can't give you anything in return, that your response would be one that you would seize the moment so that everybody could see that the the Jesus that is in us, they could see the Jesus living through us so that together we live life on purpose. We make heaven a bigger place. Father, I thank you for my friends watching online today. I pray right now, God, for every person that needs a relationship with you. I just pray, Jesus, that you would forgive us of our sins. We've fallen short. We've missed it. We've failed. We've messed up. But Jesus, we acknowledge that we need you. So we ask for forgiveness. We choose to put you first. And then from this moment forward, from this day on, Jesus, we belong to you. We will learn to love you and to serve you and to live for you. Jesus, I pray for all of us today that we are compelled and we are called to live a life on purpose for you, to be rich in deed. Let us feel those needs that are around us. Let us begin to feed into those who are in need. Let us begin to fund the need with everything we have so that we can make you famous and heaven bigger. In Jesus' name, amen.